What's happening, Renegade Coaches in the building? Yo, what's going on, everybody? Yo, yo. We live and direct. Mm-hmm. On a nice, another nice episode of Renegade Culture Zoom Edition, which yeah. I think is kind of whack, but, you know, we're going to yeah. do what we got to do because we got to save lives. That's we're not right, listening right. to Kemp the Pimp. We're going to make it happen out here. Mm-hmm. So, um, what episode is this? Episode what? I believe it's 62 or 63. Ooh, who knew it would last so long? I know. It means I had 63 hours with you just on the podcast. Well, you can't count because that's probably more like 75 or 80 because those shows are always more than an hour. But, you know, it's good to have your boy, too. Man. Uh, hey, <laughs> we got the ear doctor here. What's yes, good? Yes, we, yes uh, the ear doctor. Space. Yo, nice. Yeah, um, okay, nice, okay. Nice V-neck, Kamal. You're bringing him back. It's okay. Kamal, brother. It's Kamal. I, I keep, keep telling you. Come Off out. the air, on the air. It's the Morris Brown education. You can't, you can't handle African names. I understand. Uh, man. <laughs> right. So like, yeah. Doctor yeah, Funkenstein and Lionel Richie. Okay. <laughs> um, Renegade coaches in the building. Like I said, um, you know, it's another hot show. Yeah. Great guests. Some, we got some great guests with us tonight. We got. Um, uh, first, I want to say we got some really important topics to talk about, okay. um, and some very important de- guests to go with it. So. Uh, first and foremost, we have uh, we're going to have on Nathaniel Smith, who is the founder and chief equity officer for the Partnership for Southern Equity. Um, secondly, a return we have, guest. Say oh, again. Nathaniel's the return guest. Oh yes, you gotta, you gotta is, give this man his respect, his props. You know his, his, his show went out the went out the box. That's right. I mean, they were screaming his name. They's like, "Go, Nathaniel! It's your birthday." You know what I mean? So he came back again. That's, what That's true. And then I got we push. also got a fan favorite of mine, okay. Chandra Farley, right? Who is the Just Energy Director at the Partnership for Southern Equity. Also yes. in the DL, she's a member of Community Movement Builders of Born the Board. She don't like me DL. to talk about that much, you know what I'm saying? Because she's like, she got a day job. She, she's yeah. professional, you uh-huh. know what I'm saying? She always kind of shushes me about that. But, that's, but, but she's with us. The day don't job's worry. gone now. Don't worry about I'm it. I'm to say, don't lose your day job. <laughs> you will after tonight. <laughs> And we also got with us, he's not going, he said he's not going to say much, but the communications specialist, Andre Lank, uh, I'm going to mess your name up. Le- say your last name. Legister. Legister. Thank you. I just want to make sure you spoke. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the communications director for the Partnership for Southern Equity, and he's going to chime in. And Andre, what you tell him what our topics are? Man, it's going to be, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. We're going to be talking about Alan Aldrich. We're going to be talking about, uh, 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 Wayne Clink Scales and a whole lot of other people that you don't know. Nah, on the real, we're gonna be talking like, about a lot of serious. I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have a whole lot of a uh, lot of serious things going on right yeah. now. Um, we have a situation with the young brother uh, Ahmad uh, Arbery down mm-hmm. in was it Brunswick, Georgia? Yeah. You know, we'll talk about that situation and how he was brutally gunned down and how it is now a crime in America to be black and jog. Yeah. We're gonna talk I'm about that. Yeah. You are listening to Renegade Culture Podcast with Kalanji, Kamal, and the Air Doctor. So, um, here in Georgia, 25-year-old uh, Ahmad Arbery, gunned down in Brunswick, Georgia, while jogging, okay? Um, it's been a whole lot of hype around it. You know, the media is just catching wind. 
activists are on fire, you know, families are outraged and we're trying to get to the bottom of it and figure out what the next step is and what the, what the next stages are because of the fact that, you know, it, this is not a, it's not a uh, unique situation. You know, we had the Walter Scott running from the police getting gunned down. We had the whole Trayvon Martin situation. We had a uh, situ situation with uh, Tatiana Johnson and so many other different cases around the country. So we are weighing in tonight and making efforts to figure out which way we can uh, yeah. go. And I just want to, before I return to our guests, I just want to state, so this week uh, a new video appeared because remember, this killing is not a, uh, a new killing. It's, this killing actually happened in February. And most of us didn't know anything about this case until a, a week or two ago, unless you were sort of really informed or, or turned or tuned into it. And then things started leaking out. And all we got was sort of the prosecutor's version of events, which was the version of events by the two white men uh, who actually killed um, the young brother who stated that there was robberies happening in their neighborhood and uh, they saw him running. And it, as they say in the police report, they claimed he was hauling ass and they chased him to get him to stop. Um, and he wouldn't stop. And then he attacked uh, somebody with a shotgun and then they had to kill him standing their ground. And that was the story that they let stand, that the prosecutor's office let stand. Several prosecutors recused themselves from the case. Um, and then again, only recently as this case started to get what you would call mainstream media in some light. And then this week, um, a video came out actually showing the young brother jogging in jogging clothes uh, with the man with a shotgun standing in front of him, him somewhere trying to duck behind a truck and come around and, it, and, and then we learned that this was the second time that they had attempted to stop him. Um, and then he was shot twice and murdered on the scene. And again, even now the prosecutor is saying they're gonna let this go to the grand jury, but, but no charges have officially been filed. And so- our, Actually, you know, our, uh, Kamal, just, just now the newspaper just said that the father and son have been charged with murder uh, for the shooting. So this, this just came on HAC uh, literally 10 minutes ago. So, good, so, good. so they, they've been charged, but you know, we still don't know grand juries, right. you know, usually don't end up, you know, uh, coming out in our favor, favor mm -hmm. when it comes down to issues like this, but just wanted to give you some real time uh, oh, that's information. Great. And so, and what, and what it, you know, obviously this is something that is not new, but, and it keeps on happening. Um, uh, what, is, what was your initial thoughts when you guys, and we'll start with you, Nathaniel, first heard about the case, um, what, what, what were you thinking? And, and, and what do you think our sort of reactions and our actions should be to follow up on something like this? So, you know, as someone that considers himself a, a systems thinker, you know, someone who, who focuses not just on individual and individual's actions, but the 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 conditions that create those individuals actions uh, the first thing that i thought about was that racism continues to kill black people um you know it's it's not these two white guys in the, in the truck that is you know they're actively of course they were actively involved in that person's killing and the brother's killing but at the end of the day you know there there's been a 
concerted effort to dehumanize um, African people in America since we got here in 1619. Um, serious work to make us believe that we were subhuman and also utilize our gifts and labor for free to, to build this country. Things had to be utilized to justify that, whether it be religion, whether it be science, and whether it be public policy. And what we're continuously seeing since we've been here is um, the ripple effects, really, of, of that attitude and that belief that, you know, um, Black people in particular are not worthy of life, or at least our lives are not as important as other people's lives. And so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate to see um, this happening, and, and it really broke my heart for a lot of different reasons. And like you said, we can't even jog now without worrying about being murdered. But at the end of the day, until we acknowledge and until um, we encourage other people to acknowledge um, by advocacy that the, the primary heart of our challenges as it relates to just our, us being able to live is racism then we're going to continue to try to deal with these issues one incident at a time. And, and, that's, and that's not the real story. The real story is, is that, that there is a system that is constantly pushing us over the ledge, and we've got to find a way to undo that system. Daniel, you know, you just announced that, um, that you've read about, the, about these folks being charged. And, you know, I, I'm sitting here, and this is one episode that I am absolutely furious because those charges are bullshit because this right here is the same thing that happened with the Trayvon Martin case. Yes. Okay. They didn't even charge that bastard at first. Yep. You know what I'm saying? If we can remember that they didn't charge him and then he ends up getting off. So this is a, a pacification. This is something to quiet the Negroes down because of the fact that they understand that, that, that all we want is, perceived the perception of justice and them being charged right now is outrageous it is it is it is it is i'm not happy with that personally you know i think it's bullshit and i think that we can say that's a start but we've been down this road so many times so many times and i, I just feel that it, it is it is disrespectful to to uh to uh the, the thought of justice you know, this is straight mockery. This is a mockery in every sense of the word. Well, we also have to remember too, Kalanchi, that the, the eyes of the country have been on us. And I know we're gonna talk about this later Absolutely. because of COVID-19 and the decision by our governor um, to open up the state, even though, you know, over 50% of the people who've died of COVID-19 have been black folks and, and over 80% of the people with it are black people. Um, and so to have this, uh, you know, happen again, as you said, I think it's more about public relations um, yeah. than it is about justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if Chandra or Andre, if you wanted to step in or even you adopt, if you have something you wanted to say about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, I'm outraged. And unfortunately, it was the third video I accidentally 
happened upon just on social media in like four days. Mm -hmm. I, and quite frankly, I don't even know the other two guys' names. I was like, you know, I really can't deal with that today. And I feel really guilty about that. And then, you know, the, um, the Ahmad story came out and I was actually just searching the, um, I run with mild hashtag, you know, as we were getting started and there's Sean Reed in Indianapolis who was murdered by cops um, also. And they're protesting up there today. And it's like, you know, how long, right? You know, from Psalms, it's like, you know, how long, oh Lord, like how long is this going to continue to happen? And what is it going to take? We can't depend on the state. Um, I, I just don't even know, you know, what the answer, <laughs> you know, is anymore. Thousands of people are going down tomorrow morning um, to the Glen County Courthouse uh, at 10 a.m. Um, there was an all units call with the uh, Georgia NAACP tonight. Uh, the national field director was on the call. So, you know, their actions are happening. Um, but I just, you know, continue to sit and sort of um, outrage and sadness. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, you're, not, you're right. I'm going to switch over soon to the COVID-19. And I think you're right completely, Nathaniel, that it is about systems and systems we don't control, right? And systems- But we can control them. I mean, the thing is, is that we have to vote for the district attorney position, right? We have to vote for, you know, and, and really engage in some of these key votes that put people in office that make a decision about whether to prosecute or not, right? We have to be a lot more sophisticated around how we understand how laws work and how decisions work and, and have to organize ourselves politically um, to get involved, no, no matter how radical, um, you know, even the Panthers talked about engaging in, 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 in political action, right? Because, you know, they understood that without policy um, and without an involvement and participating in however flawed this system in is, we're allowing folks in power to continue to move us and push us off the cliff. Why is it that the right is not supporting funding states um, in the next iteration of the COVID-19 money? It's, it's not because you know, they believe that states mismanage money. I mean, they, mis they mismanage money and relationships all the time. It's about weakening local government in order for, for them to not to be able to manage and, and hold people accountable um, when things are happening as a result of COVID-19 in the community. I mean, if you can weaken government, then it gives the private sector the ability to do whatever they want to do. Um, and so, you know, we just have to be mindful of, of all of these things that are happening and, 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 and understand how power works and how our, our sub, quote unquote participatory democracy allows us a chance to, to be involved in a real way. Um, and, 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 and so I think, I think we can in some way get involved, but we can't continue to be upset if we're not involved. That's my, I guess that's my whole point. Yeah. I mean, and I agree somewhat with that. I think there are limitations on that response for me, though obviously I think the system works the way it was designed to work. There's no exactly. accident today, exactly. right? That yeah. our folks get 
killed more often by police, by disease, the poverty rates, uh, every social indicator that you could think of, we're on the lower ends of it. Um, and you know, I, I, I agree with the old saying that we didn't vote ourselves into the system, so we're not gonna vote ourselves out of it in terms of winning um, 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 the, not only just the respect we need, but the power that we need to control what happens in our lives. So although I agree, obviously, that we need to participate in the voting process, for me, I don't want to suggest that if we, one, we have already been participating in it, but two, um, you know, the, the results still a lot of times turn out to be similar um, in terms of what the outcomes are for our folks in our lives. So along with participating, I always advocate for, we also have to build independent institutions, and I know you agree with this, independent institutions that we have control over, um, that we build, that we put in our own ideological belief systems that, that spawn those movements, those systems, and how they work and how they work on behalf of our folks. It also, it definitely has to be a multi-pronged effect, multi-pronged approach. And I, I want to point out too, um, real quick, we can no longer afford to travel alone. Hmm. We can no longer afford to travel alone. There's no way, uh, Ahmaud Arbery was murdered in cold blood and he was hunted down because there was only one of him. You understand what I'm saying? The white boy, Greg McMichael, the uh, former uh, employee of the DA's office, he went and got his son because he knew that he couldn't handle this black black boy by himself. You understand what I'm saying? So you gotta, we gotta travel like like packs. You gotta roll with at least two other folks with you, and that's the reality of it. Because of the fact it's rare that you see us being gunned down or murdered in the streets by police or white supremacists when it's more than one. When it, when it's uh, more than one, it's a very rare occasion. They usually catch us when we by ourselves. That is the importance of us being organized. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hardcore uh, organization at this point. You have to be a part of an organization. If you're not a part of an organization, you're just talking shit because of the fact that there we, we are in a situation right now where uh, war has been declared on us for centuries. We clear about all that. But at this stage in the game, if you roll them by yourself, it, it's much easier for you to be ripped apart. It's much easier to be chewed up and devoured. So um, to the listeners, please don't go anywhere alone. If you're serious about your survival, either if you're going to be alone, you damn sure better exercise your second amendment. You understand what I'm saying? You better exercise the fact that the, the, the right to, to bear arms, because if you don't, they're going to get at you. I, when I'm jogging now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving a damn. Don't roll up on me asking me shit. And that's just me being mild. Don't mm. ask me a goddamn thing because of the fact that I'm scared. I have post-traumatic stress from what it is that's going on with our people. And I'm, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't just sit back and wonder what you're going to do when I'm mm. just trying to jog and be healthy. Okay. So on that note, we're going to take a, uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back with Renegade Culture and talk a little bit bit more, we'll get deeply into this COVID-19 situation and the disproportionate effects that it is having on our people. Renegade Culture. You are listening to Renegade Culture Podcast with Kalanji, Kamal, and the Air Doctor. Tap the Renegade Culture is back. Yo, we with y'all. How y'all feeling out there? Man, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's too bad there's so many like screwed up things going on. Uh, it's hard to enjoy the beautiful day in the neighborhood sometimes. So, um, yeah. So we we back with our guests. We we're joined too by Kendra Stallings, who's also with um, the Partnership for Southern Equity. And so our other guests are thank you, Ms. Chandra Farley um, and Andre Legister, and of course the Ear Doctors with us. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for chiming in. It's about time. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can. <laughs> Welcome, Kendra Starlings. Welcome to Renegade Culture. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So we want to kick it off by getting back into this COVID-19 situation. Um, and obviously, we've dedicated a couple of shows to it already. Um, and one of the things that came out of um, the beginnings of talking about this was that we started to see how the numbers, not only in Georgia, and I think some of the numbers that Daniel uh, I'm sorry, Nathaniel said earlier was 80 percent, uh, potentially 80 percent of those who have died of of uh, who've been infected, who've been infected, who've been infected. I'm sorry, who've been infected have been black in Georgia, and 50 percent uh, who have died have been black. Um, and and in Georgia, you know, black folks probably represent 33 percent. Say it again. 33% of the population. 33% of the population. And so those numbers are huge. And across the country, there are similar numbers uh, that are showing that black folks are those who are um, getting the infection at a higher rate again and dying at a higher rate. And just one last thing, um, right now the count is over 75,000 people have died in the United States um, of, this, of this disease and over 1.2 million people have been infected by the COVID-19 virus. So just starting off on that, Nathaniel, what it, uh, from the work that the partnership has done and things that you guys have looked into, what do you see as the leading causes as to why there's this disproportionate impact um, on Black people uh, in terms of getting and dying from COVID-19? Well, I, I think, I mean, if you go back to what Kalanji said earlier, about now being concerned about his safety and, and having to wear a firearm and, and, and encouraging um, African-Americans to not go anywhere alone as a result of the, the recent situation that we've had in Brunswick um, where a young man was killed. You know, it, it has a, a great deal, again, to do with what we've had to deal with um, in America and in the South since we got here in 1619. I mean, if, if you've had to deal with circumstances that have created trauma um, for you as an individual, which has bled out into various health challenges like hypertension, um, high blood pressure, obesity, um, you know, uh, diabetes, heart disease, and all of these other challenges. And then not only do you have to deal with the stress of structural racism, but then you also have to live in communities that are more detrimental to your health, um, places where you can get a honey bun before you can get a head of lettuce, places that are traumatic in themselves, places that are not walkable, places that are not healthy. Um, it's a recipe for disaster. And so if, if I have any type of, I guess, quote that I'm gonna continue to run with, um, on our time together is, is that racism is killing black people. I mean, racism is the number one killer of black people in America. And everything else, every determinant is connected to that. But, but, the, but the tree 
um, is structural racism. And, and so, um, you know, that is the reason why we're being, um, we're being hurt by this. And, you know, some people are trying to say that, oh, well, African-Americans and black people are just presupposed to COVID-19 because of some type of, of, of DNA flaw or some type of physical flaw or, you know, or we're just getting COVID-19 because we're the frontline workers. And, and as a result of that, that is why we're getting it. No, um, all of those are just byproducts of a system of injustice that has been working to devalue us and really in many ways kill us um, since we've been here. So, so I think that is what makes this so painful for me um, to, to understand and know that and, and for the work of PSC, you know, whether it be the work of, of, of just energy and, 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 um, and just health, it's again, it's about how do we get to through, you know, through to the heart of the matter in a way that will finally begin to undo some of these injustices that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And I want to bring Kendra in because she just joined us. And again, she's the the Just Health Community Organizer, and she's doing work, work in the rural, in rural Georgia on health inequities. And I'm curious about what you see happening while you're doing your work out there. Um, in rural Georgia, um, I think the common theme is dealing with real-time issues. Um, we're seeing uh, food insecurity probably is our number one. Um, like Nathaniel said, we live in a lot of places here in rural Georgia where it's easier to walk down and get a honey bun than it is head of lettuce. Um, and that's true. So food insecurity has really been probably the most common theme um, run across our uh, coalitions uh, in the north end of the state. Um, transportation it has also been an issue. Um, and in the rural area, it's tough for uh, folks that don't have um, transportation to go get that food. If, if you have food banks or food pickups, um, you know, transportation is another issue big. Um, and then communication, getting that information out um, to places uh, that may not have good service, um, to folks that may not have access to internet, um, and, and getting that information to them has, has been a challenge as well. I have a question for the room. I'm wondering, uh, so when is it time for us to go out and say, okay, well, let's go back out into say, said workforce for, cause there's a lot of people out here that's not, don't have money coming in right now. They're not able to eat. And then people go out and, you know, work. You got people at Publix that's working every day. I sometimes don't have a mask on. Sometimes they do, but they have to feed their family. So it's like, when do we go back out here? Or we keep waiting until it gets hot? I mean, what are we waiting for? So for me, I, you know, I think it's another question uh, before that question. I think that's a critical and important question. But, but, but I also think that if you look at other places like Canada, right, where they are providing a certain amount of resources in order to ensure that people can stay safe and stay inside of their homes. I think for me, the biggest question is more about what are we willing to do to ensure that our government is more focused on people than profit? <laughs> and, and right now, if you look at um, where we are, for example, with the payroll protection program, where over 90% of black folks, people of color and women are being denied for the payroll protection program. 
Um, the CARE Act, again, a disproportionate amount of, of, of people of color are not receiving the CARE Act. We only get $1,200 for the people who need it the most, a one-time check, while these corporations continue to get bailed out, similar to how they were bailed out in 2008 after the foreclosure crisis. So there's just a huge imbalance. I mean, you know, you know, people definitely have to get out. But, you know, I just saw a presentation where they're saying that a second wave is coming, you know, that, that, that we're experiencing this wave of COVID-19. But there's a strong possibility that a second wave is going to come mm -hmm. in, 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 in September, October. So, so, again, we have to do what we can to ensure that um, if we can spend trillions of dollars on the military, and other other key things, and give trillion dollar con contracts um, to to corporations and bail out companies. Then we need to try to figure out a way to 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 use those resources to ensure that people aren't putting their lives on the line in order to ensure that the economy that is not working for them continues to run. Um, and that's just my my perspective, because because again, I think the challenge is. If they leave right now or start working, um, when the second wave comes, uh, they're going to be susceptible to it again. So, you know, it's just going to be, be tough uh, without our local and federal government looking at the people who, who are the most vulnerable in a very different way, um, or at least be valued on the same level as, 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 the, as the corporations that, that they're continuously supporting. And I think that's the, I mean, that's been calm now. The main issue is that without obviously uh, any, uh, any medicine that directly uh, has been proven to uh, alleviate the symptoms of COVID, obviously there's no vaccine that's been developed and won't be for a little while unless they rush testing and rush this out to market. Uh, I think the expectations from the scientists and doctors has been that in particular, and not that it's even dropped off in the United States, and, um, but that in particular during winter months or fall months, which is classic, obviously, fall uh, flu season, that things are going to ramp up again. And I think it's what, uh, you know, partly also what we're, what we're seeing is that the United States has done such a terrible job, like a, a, a systematically awful job of doing uh, what is necessary to control this virus um, and has instead focused in on um, as soon as they can opening up markets, opening up businesses that this, uh, as you were saying, the second wave is bound to come and bound to have uh, a profound impact on our community, other communities also, but in particular, our community. The unfortunate thing too is that um, there are going to be so many casualties of war because there's so many different, um, they're creating so many different uh, uh, capitalist avenues to, to, to run down. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the situation with, you know, with Kemp opening the state up and I saw the line of folks in Greenbrier Mall for the, for the new Jordans, you know, um, you know, it, it's, you know, we, we have to really begin to, um, call a spade a spade. We have to, you know, folks like Jordan who have utilized 
they utilize that documentary and then all of a sudden, you know, they're like, okay, boom, we got the new Jordans out for $200 a piece. And you have uh, young black folks out there lined up around the, the damn mall for some sneakers. You know what I mean? You have these hair salons, these nail salons, they, they're preying on the ignorance of uh, a lot of young folks, a lot of folks who are, who are, who, who want to look good for lack of better words. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's just so insane. I think that, you know, there, there are definitely folks that are going to need to work. You know, I say, say, protect yourself as much as possible. Take the precautions, the mask, the gloves, so on and so forth. Social distance as most, as, as best as possible. But, um, you know, this is, it, it's a serious situation that we're in. And, 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 and I, I hear you all talking about the wave, the next wave to come. I don't think it's ever going to die down. I think it's going to take a while before, you know, before we get it, before the masses uh, are able to cope. I, I don't, I can't imagine not wearing a mask for the next two years. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't, I can't imagine uh, hand sanitizers and, and uh, uh, these uh, uh, disinfectants and whatnot, not, being a part of our arsenal for the next couple of years. I mean, I, I just don't see it. I see they're trying to, Trump is talking about opening up the schools and trying to convince the governors to open the schools back up. I think that uh, right now, homeschooling is the way to go. Um, if you can farm, grow your own food, but right now it's about self-preservation and it's about survival because clearly the government has no concern for its citizens, particularly for black, brown, and poor people. That's right, because I keep hearing a lot of we, 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 we ain't French and they, we damn sure ain't looked at as Americans how we getting treated over here. Because the policies, we can, we can put whoever up there in office, they don't give a fuck. They don't care about us. We got to get our segregation on in a way. It's like, yo, we got to deal with our farmers. We got to deal with our teachers. We got to deal with the necessities we need in our own communities and stop worrying about what they not doing. We're about to That's take a break there. Yo, Renegade Coach, we're going to come, in fact, when we come back, we're going to get into this policy issue, both on the federal and local level, and uh, going a little deeper on mutual aid work that's been doing, the, the doctor talked about it, mutual aid work that's needed and what's being done already by various organizations in the community and how everybody out there can support it. So Renegade Coach. You are listening to Renegade Culture Podcast with Kalani and the Air Tapping Renegade Culture, we back again. That's right, yo. We're talking about COVID-19, other things that are happening. My man Kalanji remarked a few seconds ago when we was off here that this is probably one of the most serious shows we've done. Yes. Um, because yeah, the issues that are impacting our people are always serious. But, you know, certain things are just um, molded together at this particular time that we just have to talk about and have to talk about in a really diligent and straightforward way. So Yes, we, um, you know, it, it's... It's one of those times where we're feeling the the impact and effects of this this criminal system that we currently live under, and I, I think that it's 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 hitting home because you know it's like we're on the eve of Armageddon, you know. So that's what's yeah. going on here. And so as we get back into the COVID conversation, um, it's and something that obviously we have to recognize, whether whether again. As those of us who consider ourselves radical or not, 
we live in a system, the, the system governs us, the system has billions, and if not trillions of dollars. Um, and in the short term, we have to figure out policy initiatives that work to save lives for our people, working class people, um, and uh, around this COVID-19 and its impact. So I was curious for, uh, for the partnership of Southern Equity, what are some of the policy initiatives, particularly on the federal level, and then you can work your way down, that you guys are calling for that you think are needed at this time to help support folks during this, this, this pandemic? Yeah, this is Chandra. I can talk about, um, you know, we know that, you know, this pandemic is exacerbating every single equity indicator uh, that, that we can think of. And in talking about and thinking about um, the trifecta of insecurity, right, housing, energy, and food, um, particularly on, you know, the energy and utilities front, um, people are being told to we know that we're being told to wash our hands, right? But there are people um, who don't have water, um, whose water is still being shut off in spite of um, many cities who have instituted moratoriums. Uh, same for um, electricity. And particularly as we are beginning to get into the summer, especially in the South, um, places where people who couldn't afford AC or keep their um, indoor temperatures at dangerous levels because they're afraid and can't afford their bills are now gonna be in a situation where they don't have a place to take refuge, normal places that they may have taken um, refuge before. So um, what we know is that the relief is not meeting the need. Um, the relief has not been built um, to meet the need. <clears throat> The stimulus, you know, so far has largely been uh, corporate bailout. So one of the things that um, we've been working on at the federal level, federal level, is calling for um, a nationwide moratorium on utility shutoffs. So we're calling um, for the federal government to order um, all utilities from electricity, water, um, and broadband to halt shutoffs. Um, and to also reconnect folks um, who have been shut off um, and in the immediate term. Um, those demands also lay out um, of the longer term recovery and specifically trying to um, ensure that the longer term investment um, is set up in a mode of just recovery um, to invest in uh, clean energy, renewable energy, uh, sustainable energy technologies that we know have immediate impact on lowering people's bills, um, immediate impact on developing and building healthier um, communities and building community wealth as people are able to move into new job markets um, and start new businesses around these new clean energy um, manufacturing and technologies. I'm curious too, have you guys taken a position on, you mentioned this, um, uh, the federal government, uh, and I, I say this every show because I still haven't gotten a check yet, um, has uh, issued these payments, these uh, payments of $1,200 um, uh, maximum and $500 e uh, for each child that you have. Uh, have you guys taken a position or are you in favor of a position that there should be further resources given as opposed to relying strictly on folks losing their jobs and having to file for unemployment? 
I'll let Nathaniel speak to that, you know, organizationally as PSE, but <clears throat> I have and, and our energy specific, utility specific advocacy um, around this calling for the federal piece, um, sort of the three or four groups that um, we've been working with actually shifted our position um, around calling for more di payments directly to people. We know there are, there's hangups in all of the federal funding mechanisms um, that, that we're talking about, um, but particularly with some of the programs that they were trying to use to direct dollars um, to people for emergency assistance for utilities have already been historically and traditionally um, under-resourced and not reaching those who need it most. Um, so, you know, I, it almost feels like six one way, half a dozen the other, but, um, but we, did ship, we did ship that in our asks um, at the federal level. And so I know, Nathaniel, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but as you, as you uh, maybe unmute, would uh, yeah. you guys have a position particularly on, on sort of state level uh, here in Georgia, again, where we are broadcasting from uh, Kemp is the governor and has started reopening the state, as well as several other southern states have done this uh, at the request of Trump, although Trump uh, then denies that he's requested it or, or and they go back and forth on it like a ping pong table as people mm -hmm. are dying. Mm -hmm. But uh, have you guys taken certain positions also at a state level that you think are important um, for us to talk about and recognize? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think the, the, the continued support of vulnerable communities um, and, and people who uh, need assistance as the state and city is shut down, I think is, is, a, is a key component to supporting communities that are Suffering. I mean, this question around utilities is also very important, you know, with the no shut off piece. Also, you know, the importance of, of, of broadband, which, which, you know, as we continue to have to shelter in place, and particularly in rural areas, there has to be a major investment in broadband. But also, we, we can't forget, I mean, right now, the governor is asking for tax, you know, uh, um, for kind of a shrinking of government. Um, right now, in rural places, um, people are suffering because they don't have ac access to health care. Um, we have to remind our elected officials that it was the current administration and the administration before that chose not to expand Medicare um, in rural places which caused many of the hospitals to close in rural Georgia, which we're now suffering as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, in the previous administration, you had, you know, I mean, the previous session, um, state session, you know, the governor pushed for tax cuts, right? And now we're saying, okay, we need to shrink government, but what about the individuals whose taxes that you cut, who have resources that could be supportive? So. You know, I, I think that we need to go back and definitely work to, from our perspective as an organization, ensure that we work from a policy perspective to undo some of the decisions that were made in the past that have actually exacerbated um, some of the challenges that we're facing around COVID-19. And two of those are easily the, the non-expansion of, 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 of Medicare 
um, um, and Medicaid through the Obamacare, um, which caused hospitals to close, and the the tax cut that we uh, that the that the that that the uh, people in positions of influence on the state level pushed through last session. And I think we've um, just been joined by another uh, member of your organization. Um, and I wanted to make sure that uh, Sterling Johnson, are you on? Can you hear us? No, I don't think she is. I don't see. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to make sure make sure there was an opportunity. So that's to, like on the also what's happening, and I think you guys are now, um, if you haven't already, been diving into sort of the mutual aid work, and that's you know as as uh, as we all describe it as work that we and again this is something that the ear doctor alluded to that organizations can do outside of just government responses. Obviously, we don't all have the resources of what city, federal, and state governments have. But sometimes we're closer to the problem and closer to the people ourselves. And that allows us the opportunity to get on the ground and get things out first and fast. And so I think we've been doing that. Uh, we ourselves as community movement builders uh, have been doing that for a number of weeks where we've been doing uh, food and toiletry deliveries to folks in the community, as well as what we call the Community Stabilization Fund. We're hoping to support folks' utility payments um, helping to support their rent payments, mortgage payments, um, and at the same time uh, agreeing with other organizations on their policy calls uh, for the moratorium on, uh, on evictions, uh, on mortgage payments, and also on the utility payments. Um, can you guys speak to what you're seeing in sort of the, uh, the larger basic organizations that you work in in terms of what folks are doing on the ground to help support their local communities? So, I mean, I, I think community movement builders is a prime example of that. And, I, you know, and, and I think that one of the kind of overarching kind of um, patterns that we're seeing is that many of the organizations that are on the front lines and have been primarily focused on organizing and, and really kind of focusing on base building have now been forced to provide services to many of the constituents that they've been working to organize. I mean, it's, it's hard to organize people when their stomachs are growling and they can't pay their light bills. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's an immediate kind of need for that. And, um, you know, I think it, it's wonderful to see. Um, and um, hope, um, I'm hoping Chandra can remember, um, I'm thinking about uh, Nikishka's group as well. Um, um, another mutual aid group that is, is doing some really great work in the community. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we have to, you know, do for ourselves and, 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 and leverage our resources. I mean, can you imagine if the folks that stood in line to buy Jordans at Greenbrier Mall decided to put that money into a mutual aid fund instead? Mm -hmm. um, what that would have been able to do in, in some of the communities that are in need. Um, so, so, we, so some of it is really about a mindset, but, but also, like you said, I mean, some you know, it, it doesn't have to be a lot of money in order to, to make a big difference. And so I think the work that you all are doing, as well as um, the work that Nikishka is doing, and I can't remember the name of the mutual aid uh, effort that she's organized. Chandra, I know you, if you can help me, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'll step back. But, the, but that's just my perspective, you know, mm-hmm. just in case other people may want to share. Yeah, Nikishka's group, um, it's it's the Guild, um, based over in um, Sweet Auburn. And I'm trying to find the, the actual name um, of the fund. But, you know, I think it's definitely running the gamut and just... Um, you know, checking on people, you know, what Kamal has mentioned, um, what Nathaniel's mentioned. Um, we have a Just Energy organizer, you know, also down in Savannah who also runs, you know, her own organization, Harambe House, and they have been, you know, passing out gift cards, um, you know, hygiene kits, you know, um, just, you know, things to just, you know, help sustain folks who have, you know, been out of work for two months now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we also have an organizer in Albany um, who has been working really hard to, to not just protest against, because again, you know, in, in times of uncertainty and fear, um, people who are against justice and, and utilize that as opportunities to push their own nefarious agendas. And so, there's some organizing work she's doing in Albany to try to slow down um, um, a pipeline that, that, that people are trying to build down there. But also at the same time, you know, Albany is, is ground zero for, for COVID-19, um, one of the ground zero areas in the country. Um, you know, over 100 people have died in Albany alone uh, from COVID-19. But with that being said, you know, she's had to shift right from from just being an organizer that's been focused on climate justice to now working to make sure that her constituents are, are safe and sound and, and doing all she can to call and check on people um so so again you know mutual aid you know and support doesn't just have to happen from a from a a, a big foundation mm-hmm. i mean we've been supporting each other you know since we got here um, and we've just got to continue to have that, that attitude of support and giving. Um, and, you know, I, I think we need that now more than, than ever. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I think that's right. Um, I, I mean, I, and, you know, as we wrap up, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to, to leave us with some final thoughts. Uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't really talk about, but that fits perfectly in between uh, the first segment of the brother being killed by vigilantes and uh, how law enforcement behaved and how the larger COVID-19 is affecting our communities is also how COVID-19, the people are not social distancing, uh, how that is being enforced. Um, I've seen many uh, pictures of the police uh, when, when white folks are at parks handing out masks, giving flyers out um, about how to avoid catching it. And at the same time as a juxtaposition, I've unfortunately not been surprised, but seen pictures of the police basically wilding and rampaging on young black folks walking down the street um, who are, are not necessarily practicing social distancing, but not giving the respect of, of, of passing out masks um, sanitizer, um, uh, uh, pamphlets, and so forth. And so, you know, it speaks to that, that larger issue that we've been talking about around racism in America and how, that, how in all different areas it causes death, um, particularly in our community. 
Um, so on that somber note, Nathaniel um, and Chandra uh, in particular, and um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to wrap up with any final statements um, that you may have, and also to give the, um, the audience uh, any information to contact you about further information um, about how they can support some of the policy initiatives that you guys are going on. Chandra, did you, did you, do you mind going first? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I think that we have to, we have to stay vigilant. Um, we have to um, remember that we can behave like everybody else, um, you know, and we have to take care of each other. And reached out to us, you know, we have an info, um, info at psequity.org um, email address, and those get immediately forwarded um, out to uh, the appropriate teams if anybody needs anything. Um, Nathan will, will probably talk about um, if you are a partnership for Southern Equity is um, after next week, we will be, um, we've done a little bit of um, regranting um, in the past and we'll also be um, working with some of our uh, coalition partners who comprise a you know fairly good sized population of like the grassroots uh, neighborhood and community-based organizations um, across the city um, to make sure that you know we've got the ability um, and the support that we get that we can um, direct that right to the ground um, where it's needed most hearing directly from um, folks on the ground. Yeah, I mean, and I think what, what Chandra said is, is pretty much, um, you know, what I would say, you know, continue to, you know, follow us on psequity.org. Um, we're also going to make available a recent op-ed that we published in Nonprofit Quarterly about racial equity in COVID-19 and, and, and hopefully Renegade Radio will be able to, to push that out. Um, but, but also I, I, wanted to, I wanted to leave something for the listeners to contemplate as well as the people on this call. And, and it is my sincere belief that in order for us to be free, we, we've got to be willing to lose it all. Mm. You know, we, we've got to be willing to give up our prestige and our, comfort, our creature comforts. We've got to be willing to um, stand up and, and, and with, you know, and, and with fear in our hearts that there may be retribution um, in many ways that we may not be able to imagine at this point. But, but until we're willing to, 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 to lose it all, until we're willing to, 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 to give it all up, um, we'll, we'll never be free because, because it'll always be, because when people believe that they have something that they can take from you and they can control what you do, they'll never respect you um, and, and never give you, you know, and never be put in a position um, to, to be forced and pushed to do what you need them to do. So, so the question is, you know, what are we willing to give up in order to get it all? And, 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 I, and I think we've got to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, on that note, um, as, as Kalaji had said earlier, you know, this is a very somber show and it needs to be. So we want to thank you guys, all of you for joining us, Nathaniel, Chandra, Andre, um, Kendra, 
and uh, it, it was a really good show. You guys gave out a lot of great information. So we just want to say, check us out on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, uh, RenegadeCulture.org, Facebook page, Renegade Culture, um, and Instagram, Renegade Culture. Uh, my man Kalanji got cut off, so I don't think he's around. And that's probably, you know, the only saving grace of the show. Right here. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the building. Oh, there you go. You got damn, it. damn, damn. Yeah, that's, that's I'm, good. I'm, I'm just listening to you make the show as dull as possible. Oh, <laughs> damn. He's so he a hatred in his heart. No, so we we're like going to we like, we're gonna be back. Definitely oh. like to thank you all for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, Kalanji. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you all. Stay safe. All right, Renegade Coach.